0: Love, talk Radio. Hi, welcome to Teach Me to Talk with Laura and Kate. I'm Laura Mize, pediatric speech language pathologist,
1: and I'm Kate Hensler, developmental interventionist. How are you doing tonight, Laura? I'm doing very well. How are you? Doing well, had a nice, um, fun, but relaxing weekend, so doing well. well.
0: Good for you, good for you. I had fun with you yesterday at my son's wedding shower, his third one. That was a ton of fun, I thought. Had some cute pictures from that.
1: I had a great time, but I was just (laughs) thinking, well, now wait, he wasn't there. It was his bride's (laughs) wedding shower. I never saw Tyler the whole time. But it was well, a very fun shower. I am mother of green, groom, so I am all about yeah. the groom. <laughs> so it was Tyler's bridal shower. <laughs> well, oh no, I don't know. I called it a wedding
0: uh, shower.
1: Oh, a wedding shower, Yeah. Well, it was a lovely shower. The ladies who hosted it did a beautiful job. It was quite fancy, yet very comfortable and pleasant, and a lovely home. So couldn't ask for much more. And great food, too.
0: Yeah, we had a really fun time. I thought it was really nice. Thank you so much for coming.
1: My pleasure. But it was
0: it was fun, and I've just had family time the rest of this weekend, too, so it's been really, really, really nice. So what a great mm-hmm. weekend. Yeah, too bad it's Sunday. i don't ever know if this is the end of the week or the beginning of the week do you ever think about that if the podcast ends the old week or you know kicks off the new week
1: it it ends the old week for me i don't know why sunday monday starts the new week so it's the ending of of the week in my mind
0: well there you go
1: but since you pretty much work every day anymore it doesn't matter huh
0: I know. I was going to say, yeah, only seven more work days to go. (laughs) That's okay. I love it. I'm so lucky to love what I do. So there you go. Moving right along, let me announce conference dates since those uh, dates are quickly coming up. Atlanta is September 27th and 28th, and that is filling up. If you want to come, please be sure that you go ahead and register and don't wait until the last minute Columbus, Ohio is October 11th and 12th, and then Chicago is on the 25th and 26th, and we're getting quite a few registrations for Chicago, too, and I don't know if I've mentioned this before, but that venue is not as large as we normally have, so if you want to go to Chicago, don't wait until the last minute. I'd hate for people to make their travel plans and think they're coming and then think they're just gonna save registration for the last minute and it fall through. So a lot of our Is it is it the most-
1: folks from northern Indiana coming to support you, Laura? Is it the region <laughs> people from the region who are I know you've had good <laughs> good turnout with them before and they're fun as well, aren't they?
0: They're fun. Really Chicago is going to be a nice mix. Uh we have a person that I just looked at the registrations uh glanced at them this week. There's someone like from um you know, there are people coming from faraway places, so it's very exciting. Oh, cool. And then there's the people from Kentucky going to Atlanta, so I always kind of chuckle. That happens. I think, well, come on, let's ride together. So anyway, just <laughs> kidding about that. Don't email me, people. Good excuse but. to
1: get to places you'd like to go to anyway. You know, you get to write it off as a conference, but then see Chicago or see Atlanta. I don't know nice. that one if that has quite the appeal, but. I don't know. Columbus,
0: Ohio. Well, there's nice yeah. shopping between here and Columbus, Ohio. And last time That's I was there true. in 2010, <laughs> I had a great time. So I'm really looking forward to going back there, too. So
1: You're right. They're some good outlets.
0: They do. All right. Tonight's topic, anything else before we move right along? Did you have no. Any other want to talk about? Oh, you know, I meant to say this, too. Last week, we did the show about... Daycare ideas for working with kids at daycare. And I mentioned a couple of books, how you could maybe use, um, at a circle time, do books that were more interactive rather than just reading a book. And so I mentioned a couple of books that I didn't give their whole names, and I wanted to do that tonight. The Barney book that I mentioned is called Barney Plays Nose to Toes, and it's a body parts book. So if you were seeing a kid, maybe not in an older twos class, but you know, a young toddler, that would be a really fun uh, book to use. There's almost, also another book called Elmo Shakes a Leg. Same kind of concept. And then I found one a couple of days ago. Uh it's an Eric Carl book called Oh shoot, I wrote it down um, and I don't have that list. I left the list at the office and now I'm at home. I can't remember what it's called, but it's really cute. I think it's, oh gosh, I hate it when my memory does this. Why does this happen after 45? Ah. Um,
1: I'm 50, I tell you, you, but I can't remember.
0: (laughs) Carl, Eric Carl. I think it's called something about head. I don't know. Johnny's going to try to Google it for me. Look it up on, you can find it on Amazon probably. He's going to try to do that. It's one that's I'll get it for next week or I'll post it on the Facebook page. Anyway, I wanted to mention that because someone emailed me about that and said what were those specific um, titles you didn't give those. It would be helpful when you talk about a book if you gave the full title. Well, I know that would be helpful, and I will try not to
1: do that in the future. (laughs) yeah sometimes you know all you know is it's a barney book and you have it so you don't necessarily commit to memory what the actual it's about head shoulders, knees, and toes, or it's about body parts and it's barney it's something like I guess I can, it's like an
0: I can do it Eric Carl book, something like but it has animals doing different things, like From Head to Toe. Johnny just found that for me. It's an Eric Carl book, and it's called From Head to Toe. And, yeah, you, you're exactly right. You just think about what it does. You don't necessarily remember the title. It's just the only Barney book in your little bag. Yeah. So,
1: there you go. I used to you've had for me for 10 years. Good.
0: I know. I used to be able to recall anything. You would talk to me about that and say, how can you remember that? How can you remember her name? And mm, that's
1: going your way. I'm sad about you that. You say, but, "Oh, you remember? It's no, 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 no. Oh, yeah." Hmm. Well, yeah, you still have a good memory.
0: Mm, not well. There you go. Except for those book titles that I didn't say last week. <laughs> so well, we got them out there. there. Got them all three. There you go. All right. So wanted to talk about that, and let's go ahead and talk about tonight's show. And this new series that we're starting tonight, but I want to give some background about this. Um, In the last several weeks, I've gotten several comments on the website, and then someone happens to email me or Facebook me, and so this question keeps coming up. So when I get a, a lot of times... When the same question keeps coming up, I think, gosh, I really sh- we should do a show about that. I should really think about that. I should write an article about that or whatever. So this is one of those topics. And it, the person is always saying, my child has some words, but he can't answer any questions. or Or she can't have a conversation with me. I don't understand what's going on. And so I started thinking about that as a show topic, and then it kind of... You know how I do, Kate. I can't just address a little question. Sometimes I have to think, where would I start when I talk about this topic? Because so many times, you know, there could be a variety of reasons that a child would not be able to answer questions. But the the big two are they don't understand the question, meaning that their receptive language isn't there yet. Or secondly, they don't have enough expressive vocabulary to be able to answer a question like, what did you do at school today? Or what did you eat for lunch today? Or what did grandma say to you about your new shoes? You know, questions like that that we'll think, okay, my kid has some words. He should be able to just pop that right out unless they have a vast vocabulary. They often cannot do that. So we want to talk about how to improve a toddler's vocabulary because when you um, give a kid enough words and you help him both understand those words and learn to use those words, that's at the point when they really begin to be able to answer questions and participate in conversations. And so just because you've heard a kid use even, say, 25, 35, 50 words, they often are still not at the point when they can really answer questions. And again, I think that may we may not do a good enough job as speech pathologists and developmental interventionists and early educators in telling parents that because they just assume, well, he can say something, if he's talking a little bit, why isn't he able to do that? And so language development is such a process and there's such a sequence of events that have to unfold. And I do want us to get to the point where we're talking about some of those higher-level expressive language skills, like answering questions, but we have to back up a little bit and talk about how to really hone in on vocabulary development. And I think this is the backbone of every therapist who works on communication skills in an early intervention or a preschool program. You have got to know how to develop vocabulary, and more so than that, you have to be able to teach parents how to do it with strategies that make sense and more so than saying, just talk to your cat and he'll get it. You know, that's not good enough. <laughs> Read to your child. That's not good enough. We have to be able to explain strategies that work and model strategies that work and help parents really understand how to help their child develop their vocabulary beyond um, just being able to say a few words because it's so, again, so sequential. And don't you think this is the really the bread and butter of what we do, Kate, working on expressive vocabulary development?
1: Absolutely. Although Laura, I want to ask you a question. You're Go ahead. Back, you're backing it up. Backing up. I wanted to back you up a minute on questions like that, like what did you have for lunch today, or what did Grandma say about your new shoes? You you gave those as examples. What do you think is a typical age for a child to be able to answer those accurately?
0: Or even attempt
1: to to answer them and give some sort of a response? The test says 30
0: months. And we know that our formal standardized test includes the bottom age range for children, meaning that 90% of all children that have been a part of the standardization process, have to achieve the skill by that age level for them to put it at that age level. So usually with typical development, you might see that skill start really um, come in or emerge or you know, be present six months before. So I think kids have to really be between that 24-month and 30-month developmental level. And so usually that means that they're using short already, that they're able to have that back and forth of at least three or four turns. Dr. Rossetti says that by 30 months, a child should be able to sustain a conversation of four to nine turns. And by how old? Again, 30 months. Mm -hmm. Typically developing kids can do that. You know, if you work in a, a daycare that you talk to the kids, not the kids you're there to see, but having right. other oh, kids yeah. come back and forth with you a lot. Oh
1: yeah, you know, and sometimes
0: you're like, "Okay,
1: enough already! Yeah, I'm done answering <laughs> your questions. Yeah, <laughs> I'm obviously not here to see you. Yeah, right. unfortunately, you'd be fun, but you're doing too well for me. Yeah, yeah, but a lot I'm of times we them.
0: yeah, we forget about that. That two-year-old, normal two-year-olds really do talk. And so I think that kids developmentally have to be between that 24-month and 30-month level. And so if you have a child in speech therapy who's two and a half, but you remember on the report that it that it said that he was at the 12- to 15-month level, he's not going to be able to answer your questions yet because he's just not mm-hmm. there yet. He needs more vocabulary, and I think parents don't really understand that. The other thing that happens is that a lot of our kids just – can only do one pragmatic function, and pragmatics means language use. And they, this is so true for our little friends who are on uh, the autism spectrum, they get stuck in naming and labeling. And so even if, so they might answer a question like, what's that? Not be able to answer anything else, because even if they know the word that you are your target word, they Still may not be able to use it when it's really responding to a question rather beyond what's that. So that's what's always that? interesting. Uh-huh. Yeah. So that's interesting when that happens, and we're not really talking about those kids yet. That's going to be in a couple of weeks. Tonight we're backing it way up and talking about what you first do to start working on language development, and then kind of moving it forward. Because every time I don't do that with a topic like this, boy do regret it, I like to kind of start (laughs) with this is where you begin and let's move forward from there. So we're going to get to those higher level language things, but I think it just makes more sense to do it this way. So tonight we're talking about vocabulary development. I do want to say, too, that for typically developing kids, the typically developing two-year-old or 24-month-old on that second birthday has between 200 and 300 words. Now, I don't say that to be negative uh, for any parents who are listening, that you have a child over 24 months and you're thinking, oh, Laura, you just slapped me in the face, you just hit me in the stomach. You know, I'm not saying that to be derogatory or negative or anything, but I just want to remind the therapist about typical development because our perceptions get skewed. We'll We'll use a benchmark like 50 words by 24 months without realizing that's the that's the kid who's functioning in the, you know, the 10th percentile, that 90% of kids who are typically developing the language are doing better than that and using more words. So the average, the kid at the 50th percentile who's developing typically will have 200 to 300 words by that second birthday. And so, again, for therapists, you have got to keep that in mind and realize that. And always keep that as your barometer for typical development, not the milestones that we use. Um, Vocabulary development in in kids with uh, typical development happens without lots of effort. It's like magic. It's like a miracle. And when you look up statistics or research, they'll say that children, um, the average 24-month-old is learning two to three new words per day. I remember with my own children, because I was so interested in this and, you know, this is my thing, I would write down every day how many new words I heard them say or I noticed that they understood what they meant. And it it can be uh, just astronomical, the number of words that they could learn in a, new, in a typical day. But with late talkers, we have to really work to make that happen, and we have to be so purposeful about helping them move along. With learning new words, if they were going to get it the typical way, just by parents talking in daily routines, it would have already happened. There would be no reason for them to qualify for therapy. So we have to train parents to change how they talk to their children, and to change what they do with their children, so that language becomes um, language is presented at the level that they can. Start to make good progress. And so, a lot of therapists, I think, are resistant to telling or feel kind of bad about telling a parent they have to change what they do. Or again, you know, um, someone who's listening might say, Oh, don't tell parents they have to do anything differently. That's going to make them feel bad. And that's not the purpose. But if you're going to keep doing the same stuff and it's not going to work, you know, why would you do that? Why would you waste your time? So, we're going to talk about how we change the activities that we do to make it more meaningful and to make it sink in and stick so that a kid can start to um, learn to understand and use more language and i did want to make a point too that if you're just talking about a kid with a with just an expressive delay you, you know the kid the only real issue is he's not really talking it receptively The kid is okay. And by okay, I mean he understands what words are. He's following directions really well. He responds to his name consistently. You know, there's no doubt about his comprehension. And so if you're listening now and you're thinking, well, my kid doesn't really follow directions. Um, He really ignores me a lot. These suggestions are appropriate, but it's going to take longer because not only is your child going to have to learn how to say the word, first he has to learn how to understand the word. And again, I don't think we do a great job as early interventionists in talking about the importance of receptive language. And that is something that, you know, I hope that um, that's my mark on this field when it's all said and done, (laughs) is that somebody has... (laughs) stood on the rooftops and shouted, receptive language is a big deal, because we don't often pay enough attention to that. And I know that's my soapbox issue, Kate, but I think you, that's your, one of your issues now too, isn't it?
1: Uh, well, it's hard once you become aware of how often it's overlooked. And I will say, you know, it is hard from a um, in my perspective as a therapist, it is hard to say that because parents oftentimes, um, you know, sometimes rightfully so feel more concerned about that when you begin to say this is not just what he's saying it's what he's understanding or not understanding and then they kind of look at you like you mean this is kind of bad and it's like yeah you know it's, yeah and it is yeah it's very it's very hard to say it is a bigger deal that a child doesn't understand words the way he's supposed to then then if he can say them or not not to say that talking isn't important it is but Um, It's a bigger issue when they're not understanding at age level. And parents a lot of times either um, don't understand that or overlook that or fail to factor in that, gee, maybe their child doesn't understand it, you know, because they can understand some things. They think they can understand more than they really are. They assume they understand more than they can. But it's it's hard to say. And, Laura, you know, I'll say this about parents that um, I've dealt with a lot of times when you begin to talk about where they are developmentally, what their expressive skills are, what their receptive skills are, parents will take a lot of um how, the burden, you know, they say, I well, I haven't mm-hmm. really worked on that a lot or I haven't right. you know, I I should probably spend more time and no no and, and, and you know, none of us are perfect parents, that's for sure, mm-hmm. and I think your mm-hmm. point you made about normally If there isn't a problem, this happens very easily. It really doesn't take a lot of focused effort from the parents. And I always remind parents of that. You know, this is not something you did or didn't do. This is a problem your child is having with speech or language. That's just the way it is. You know, we may not ever know why. And just because we're making suggestions about things you can do differently doesn't mean you did it wrong. It just means that you said whatever's been done isn't working and your child has special needs really. You know, because exactly. it's just being if just being a good parent had been enough, your child wouldn't have a language delay. So um but it's hard, you know, no everybody I mean that's nobody wants to hear that. We're both parents. We know how hard it is to hear that uh, there's some sort yeah. of issue with <laughs> With your child, so right. But as therapists, we can't
0: hold back and not give parents the full picture. And it's, and there's a way to do it respectfully. And um, again, not I I hate it when I feel like someone thinks that we're bashing parents or being negative. And I don't I, I hate that when it, when our um, podcast or what we're talking about come across as that because that is never, ever, 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 ever our intention. But it's just to point out, gosh, we need to do something different because if what you were going, what you were doing were going to be successful, we wouldn't be here. Your kid right. would not have And a lot of times what gift.
1: they're doing would be absolutely successful with a child who didn't have any right. future language issues. It just so exactly. happens that for whatever reason, there is a problem there. So, you know, but I always And that's why you need a therapist to help you. Yeah. Right. So, anyway, okay, I got you off target I when run. I was, the, oh, no, I just was, I wanted to, to you to go about, on about when those questions would be yeah. uh, I expected to be something that kids could respond to. And, and of course, course, the answer was detailed. So,
0: sorry about the little <laughs> off topic. Oh, okay. That's okay all right so how do we work on vocabulary development and i want to say this so that there's no doubt about it toddlers all toddlers toddlers with developmental delay toddlers who are typically developing and every toddler in between (laughs) learns by doing that's with real objects and real actions Now, some children do learn very well by pictures. Some children are very visually oriented. But when you are talking about vocabulary development, please don't just defer to, I'm going to get a whole bunch of flashcards. Or I'm going to get this vocabulary development app on my phone and we're going to do that. Please don't just defer to that. Kids need to learn real words for real things and real events that happen in their daily lives, and that's how all of us learn best. And there is a place for books, and we have some children who love books and love flashcards, and I'm not trying to discourage that. I'm just trying to say that is not every child's learning strength. And there are some children who absolutely might sit and look at a book or book after book after book for an hour, but guess what? They've done nothing but stimulate the visual part of their brain language, unless an adult is sitting with them and putting a word with what they're seeing, there's probably no real language learning going on. And, again, sometimes that really surprises parents when we say that. And it might even surprise some therapists who think, what, you're not going to, you're saying not to use flashcards with toddlers? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. We need to be doing things in real life. And some of our kids will learn words with a book or with a leapfrog toy or something like that, and then not be able to transition those words or generalize those words to their daily events. And you could see them name picture after picture after picture in a book, but then have no clue when you're trying to get them to request something. They're at a loss. They They don't know how to really use that word beyond the label. So again, we have to be sure that we are teaching words and thinking about language in um, context beyond looking at books and doing pictures and um, that's the things
1: we need to learn with real you know, activities. Laura, Go ahead. In my experience, and I'm guessing you will agree, more often than not, it's precisely those kids who really are highly visual, like the pictures, you know, right. they're your colors, numbers, and letters kids, um, who, yeah, they'll label the picture, but they don't really use words in a functional way at all. And so, again, a cautionary note to those of us working with these kids, just because they like them and will label a picture. The other thing that I always have a problem with with that population is they tend to be um, not very social at all. You know, they don't really have much social engagement or reciprocity going on. And then we just sit there and let them look at pictures. Don't really encourage them to look at us. Don't really encourage them to have any kind of back-and-forth communication. Just let them label the picture. And I just think, you know, that is just feeding their weakness, really. You right, know right. So, Get yeah. them doing something. And you know, right. Laura, again, with your, and I don't want to pull in all your other work, but you know, when with your, I call it the levels now, when teaching verbal <laughs> imitation.
0: I should um, have just called it
1: that because other
0: people call it that when they email me. Do I've that got your it's levels not just book. The, the levels.
1: Yeah. And I think that that is, you know, just such a sound theory, but if you think about if you have to teach a kid to do things, Actions with toys, and you have to teach a kid to imitate these things, you know, and, and, and in a progressive manner. What are you teaching him to imitate by pointing to a picture and labeling it? Mm, you know, yeah. <laughs> Where, where's the play there? Where's the, right. you know, any kind of motor movement? Where's there's? It's just, yeah. So many reasons not to fall into that that um, bad habit of pictures, 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 pictures.
0: Yeah, and I know why so many speech pathologists do that, especially if they've worked with older older children, because flashcards and those kinds of visual information, that's how we work with school-age children, and so it's really easy for a speech pathologist, especially when she's been in working in a school set, a public school setting, or you know that her population has just been older that she's always used that kind of material. It is really easy for her to think, great, I'm just going to pick up some baby Einstein flashcards and I'm all set. You know, and it mm-hmm. really um, it takes some re-education and some really thinking about the strategies and how we're presenting things. And, again, I love what you said about it's so easy as a therapist or as a parent to think, well, he likes pictures, so that's what I'm going to do. But I love mm-hmm. what you said about you're really feeding its weakness because if we're there to work on the social aspect of communication as well and the back and forth piece of engagement in your words, your reciprocity, you've gotta build that in, and that does not happen with um some of that visual information as well as it can happen or you don't you just don't have the opportunities to build it if you're if you're um, comparing using books or computer programs or apps or whatever what to do when you're playing with toys and using real objects or even in daily events. Another really big movement in early intervention right now is just to teach parents how to target things in daily routines and not to have special therapy time or special activities. And I, I think language in daily routines is so important, and so I don't want anybody to misjudge what I'm about to say. But, again, If a kid were just going to learn in daily routines, it would have already happened. (laughs) So we've got to still not lose our clinical perspective and our clinical uh, background with thinking, he needs therapy. And how we do therapy with a toddler is by playing, and I just when people are going on and on about daily routines, I think, well, who, well, when did play not become a daily routine? I think that <laughs> that's
1: what a toddler. That's what they is. do most of the day. Yeah, yeah. exactly. In some but way, what? shape, or form. You know, I exactly. mean. Exactly. So how can we
0: say that we're not going to play with them, or we're not going to teach a parent how to play, or we're not going to sit down on the floor with some toys? When, why, who came up with that crazy idea? You know, so we have to really, as therapists, even though, even in your state program, if your state program is saying don't take a toy bag, guess what? That doesn't mean that you're still not going to play if you can't sneak your own toys in. Wink, wink. You still need to be playing with what's available and teaching a parent how to do it during play because play is so important for a toddler. And, again, a lot of parents aren't natural players. I mean, they're great at meeting physical needs. They're great at feeding their children and keeping them clean and clothed, but not so great. Oops, I've got a sneeze. Oh, it passed. But not so great in that one-on-one interaction Excuse me.
1: Bless you. Okay,
0: so we have to think about and talk about playing and language in that context because so many of our kids, too, need that one-on-one engagement to learn or that one-on-one, and I still say direct teaching, a.k.a. therapy, because, again, if they were going to just learn it, by virtue of participating in a daily routine with their parents, they would it would have already happened. So that's my rationale for that. That's not to say that we're not going to include language all day long and we're not going to tweak some things that we're already doing as parents, but I think it is critical that we talk to parents about that one-on-one learning time, especially for our kids that are at risk for an autism diagnosis because research tells us that it takes 20 to 25 hours a week of engagement to make a real difference in um, the social communication aspect of children who are at risk for that diagnosis or already have that diagnosis. And so, and again, that 20 to 25 hours a week, that's based on ABA, and it's based on even what the floor time people, you know, no matter what approach or what theory you're using for treatment, they have come to that number as what would make a difference for kids. And so, again, you've got to look at including that time with play throughout your daily routines um, and make it a big deal. Because if a child were just going to get language, uh, just by going through his daily routines, you know, it would have already happened. So we have to make... um, that point with parents and talk about how important that one-on-one time is and how important how what a priority language learning has to be during that one-on-one special therapy time that they're going to have with their kid not just once a week when the therapist comes or not just when you take the kid to the office you know wherever you're you're getting your services it has to be frequent and it has to be a lot to make a difference so you're going you're to really shoot for that 20, 25 hours a week and a lot of therapists again balk at telling parents that or they say gosh ooh, I don't want to tell them that because she works full time and I just don't want to make her feel guilty and that's not what this is about this is just about presenting information to parents so that they understand what a monumental huge um, undertaking this is going to be and if they can't get to the 20 to 25 hours a week and before maybe if we were honestly looking at how much engagement a kid had and he had one or two hours a week but a parent ups it to six hours or eight hours or 10 hours through the course of seven days, woohoo, go mad. You know, you may not be at that 20 to 25 hours in reality, but it's so much more than what the child was getting before. So we always just want to keep parents moving forward. And again, not to be negative, but just to point out what we know has to happen before a child will begin to make progress. Okay. So, Laura, let me
1: just say for the, oh, let me just put ahead. this in here real quick for the other DIs um, or developmental therapists or whatever you are, a special instructor in your state of our listeners. Um, it's not just Laura who says it's important to play, it's also the National Association of uh, National, National what is it? National, National Association of Education of, Education of Young Yeah. Young, young children. children. It's like <laughs> the big guru body of early childhood educators. You know, they they kinda of set our standards and you cannot look at anything NACI that doesn't say. They've gotta do things, they've gotta experience things, they've gotta to touch things, they've gotta you know, they've they've got they learn by doing and so I'm um, just a plug for for our little group and not little group, but our big group, and that um, that's widely held and accepted as fact. You know, kids have it, to do it. They cannot yeah. learn it on a DVD by from a DVD <laughs> or from a book. Even though Nacy certainly embraces early literacy and in, introducing kids to books, but as a, a mainstay for how do kids learn, they learn by Experiencing it and doing it. So. Exactly, and so if you have a state
0: early intervention program that you don't think is recognizing the value of play, with you know, with going berserk about the daily routine piece, you know, and saying your strategies only have to be centered around mealtime and bath time and dressing, and you know, again, I want you to be able to stand up and put your hand on your hips and say, well, wait a minute, there is no more important daily routine than play for a toddler and mean it and defend it so that we can make sure that our programs make sense uh, for our kids. All right, so let's switch gears a little bit and talk about what the very earliest vocabularies for brand new talkers usually look like and sound like. And there are a couple or maybe three categories of words that if we really analyze um what new talkers are saying, words will fall into these kinds of categories. And again, some of it won't be a surprise, but some of it might be a surprise, especially if you're a new listener. First of all, we know that nouns play a huge part and we're going to and nouns, if you'll think back to English class, nouns mean <laughs> names of objects, of things, of people, of places. So it's a name, it's a label, and naturally most early vocabularies consist of a higher percentage of nouns than any other word. And we're going to spend a lot of time talking about those words in just a minute because I want to talk about these other two categories of words first. And again, we've we've devoted entire shows (laughs) to these kinds of words, and we're not going to belabor this or really talk about it at great length other than to tell you about these kinds of words and remind you how important these are. But before we get to nouns or real single words, many, many, many children have to use words that we consider to be exclamatory words or play words or play sounds. And these are going to be things uh like uh oh and like mm 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 and like words like yay And, again, even maybe some animal sounds or car noises or anything like that. And when you will look at typically developing toddlers, a lot of times if you were going to sit and do a language sample, those are the kinds of words that you might hear in their earliest vocabularies throughout the day. Now, some therapists get reluctant to count those as real words. And, again, if you've listened to the show, you know what I'm about to say. (laughs) If I can (laughs) spell it, I count it as a real word. And so those kinds of of words are so critical to get a child to learn how to imitate and to start to really be noisy and get that whole talking piece. And I have we've already talked about, and Kate mentioned uh, my book, Building Verbal Imitation in and Toddlers, and exclamatory words and play sounds are both a big part of that. If you look at level four and level five and even level six,
1: there are the get, levels.
0: <laughs> those are the levels. And we don't get to real words or nouns you know, until level seven. And so there's some other things that have to happen expressively before a kid is able to use a lot of those kinds of words. And so don't dismiss the value of teaching those words and using those words and uh, modeling those words so that a kid can really start to imitate them and use them for themselves. The great thing about words like that is that they're usually easier to pronounce and they convey meaning. So it's more motivating for a child because the child can say, "ew," and you know exactly what he means. He doesn't have to say, my feet are so gross from walking in the mud, Mom. You know, you get "ew" and know exactly what he's talking about. So these words are important expressively and communicatively as well. And so, don't dismiss those va- that value. And you can get the big list of that again. It's level five from building verbal imitation in toddlers. And I use those words, oh gosh, ad nauseum, in early sessions with kids because they really work and they're also highly motivating. Kids tend to want to repeat those words and use those words. So don't dismiss uh, that value. And we have done whole shows about that. I meant to go back up and look at the podcast number for what Level 5 was. We did a whole series of shows beginning in um, April, I believe, April and May. Yeah, so go back and look that up, if you don't know what I'm talking about. Yeah, this year. The other kinds of words that um, toddlers use in their early vocabularies are social words, and these are words like hi and bye-bye, And yes and no or their equivalents. Like a lot of kids will do uh uh-uh or uh uh-huh for yes and no, okay. Especially if a mom says okay. Have you noticed that a lot that a kid might say okay for yes? Especially Mm -hmm. if his mom or dad says that a lot. And so social words make up a a big part of those vocabularies too. There are also those other nice social words like please and thank you and sorry. And those words are also listed in... um, Oh, I was going to quote that study. Let me see if I can find it. It's a 2011 study. It's at, oh, what university is that? Okay, it's an unusual sounding name, like Bryn Mawr. Is that right? I can't find now, that now, is that it? There,
1: there is a school named Bryn Mawr. Yes, there
0: is. Okay, there it is. I just found it. I remembered. But it's the Child <laughs> Study Institute at Bryn Mawr College in 2011, Identified 25 words that every toddler should be using by age two, and um, we're going to talk about those words when we're list announced in just a minute. But words like the social words, like no, yes, and thank you, are on that uh, list as well. Again, really in high and bye, of course, are on there, and those are words that we target with new talkers. High and bye, and Those kinds of words, and so I wanted to be sure to mention that as well. Because, again, as speech pathologists, sometimes I think we go straight to those nouns without really thinking about other kinds of words that parents are probably already working on and that we should um, give some validation to and some credence to and give them strategies to work on those words as well. All right, so we've talked about the social words. We've talked about the exclamatory words and play words. Let's move on to talking about nouns. How in the world do you teach nouns? We've already talked about toddlers learn best by seeing and by doing. So that means that you're going to have to really come up with um, ways to include more words and make sure that you are being totally purposeful and dedicated to teaching a word for every single thing in a child's environment. Now, are our late talkers going to be able to learn 75 new words in a day? Probably not. And so you'll have to have parents really um, make their list. Some parents need you to sit down and talk about how to talk to their kids and what kinds of words they should focus on in their daily routines. And, again, this is a very big movement in early intervention right now is to do a routines based interview when we are starting the whole SSP process with families so that we're talking about what their routines are. And that information can give you tons of language targets. And you'll know immediately how to talk to parents about what their early should be, or their early uh, goals for nouns, or their little uh, words, the kinds of things. And some parents will need you to say, okay, at bath time this week, we're going to work on water, we're going to work on, you know, and these list, you know, you'll say, what are his favorite bathtub toys? There's a dock, there's a boat, you know, so you're going to sit with them and talk about what those words would be. If you're in a state that they are doing the whole no toy bag thing and they're telling you you're just really supposed to be talking about to parents about strategies, this is what you're supposed to be talking about, <laughs> going through and helping them with their schedules and helping them um, come up with what their goal words are going to be for the week. And so for a meal, you're going to say, let's talk about you know, what, what nouns you're going to use this week. Let's talk about cup and bowl and spoon, and so you're going to help them pick out several words to really emphasize and really work on teaching uh, during the week. And remember, too, that a child has to hear a word over and over and over again before he's expected to use that word. Uh, Dr. Caroline Bowen, who is a speech pathologist from Australia, who has a fantastic website at speech-language-therapy.com. She talks about modeling and she says when you have a goal word, like we're talking about right now that the child needs to hear that word 12 to 18 times in a 3 or 4 minute span throughout the course of the day. And if you'll think about that, that's a whole lot of modeling and what one thing that I say in my courses well, teachers,
1: say the numbers again, Laura.
0: 12 to 18 times is what her research says. So if you are eating and your three words are, you know, if we're really at the noun phase, cup, Mm -hmm. bowl, and spoon, you need to count. You don't need to really keep data on the kid. You need to keep data on you (laughs) and count how many times you're really saying that word. You know, here's cup, whoa, cup, drink from your cup. So get your cup. Where's your cup? Where's that cup? Get cup. Oh, cup. There's your cup. <laughs> that's how repetitive you have to be. And again, some parents are going to shake their head in disbelief and say, oh my gosh, you sound like an idiot. Guess what? You need to sound like that chief <laughs> because that's how repetitive we need to be. Caroline Bowen calls that recasting. I just call that modeling. A lot of like of us when we went to school, that method of treatment is called auditory bombardment. What would a DI call that, Kate? you have a specific uh, word for that? Uh,
1: that I don't of, know I what a DI I would call it. I would have called it auditory bombardment, but yeah. I'm old, so that's probably why.
0: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I remember that, that word from way back in the 80s. Yeah.
1: So, yeah, right. so...
0: They've got to hear it over and over and over again. And so, again, if you'll help parents really pick out what those nouns are going to be that they're going to focus on over and over and over again. If a parent says to you, if you're looking at their routines-based interview and playing outside is something that they do every single day, you need to say, what toys does he like to do? What are your things? And if they say, he likes to swing, we play in the wagon. He likes to throw the ball. Well, there you go. There are your words, swing, ball, and wagon. And so you're going to talk to them about using those words over and over and over again. And some parents, again, will need you to write out their little keywords list for the week so that they can remember it. We have seen some really awesome parents this time in my new office. And some of those parents, again, I think the kinds of parents that are Coming are highly motivated and highly driven and highly educated parents, and, boy, they liked the word list. They want the written instructions, haven't they, Kate? Mm-hmm. And so coming up with that list for parents can be powerful if a parent wants that kind of direct black and white instruction with this is what it's going to be. So you're going to want to do that. You uh, For people in a child's daily life, you know, How many moms of kids that we see wait forever to hear mama? If they just hear the word, you know, everything would, they would feel like their child is going to, in the long run, be okay. But until they hear that, their sweet little baby say it, you know, they just can't wait for that day. So we need to help them come up with ways to work on mama or work on a name for the dog or work on a name for the brother or sister. And so, again, you have to be really purposeful about how you're recommending that they work on that. We've talked a lot about the mama game, and I'm not really going to go over that here again, but you can look on um, my website at com and search mama game and come up with that little game. But, again, until you really work on it and make it a goal, the child might not be able to use the word for his mom or for um, another significant other in his or her life. So I want you to be really, really purposeful about uh, teaching those words. Did you? Were you going to jump in and say something, Kate? No.
1: Not okay. No. <laughs> okay. That's not that okay. I can come up with at the moment. No. <laughs> I heard a second
0: ago like you were trying to take a breath and jump in, just interrupt me if, you know, I interrupt you constantly, so turnabout is fair play. Um, okay. a- another point that we have to make is children usually have to imitate a long, long, long time, and remember, imitate just the fancier therapy word for repeat, to be able to copy you. They have to be able to repeat the words that you say long before they they're the word on their own, and a lot of of parents get hung up on that too and say, I just don't want him to only be repeating me. I want to hear him say some things on his own. He has to stay in that imitative phase for a while before you're going to be able to hear it spontaneously. Children who can't imitate, oh gosh, are at such a disadvantage for learning language. And our little friends who have imitation problems, Usually go on to get a diagnosis of um, either autism or maybe apraxia or some other, you know, diagnosis beyond just a late talker. And imitation is just critical. And so um, don't get hung up on, I want him to say it without hearing me say it first. You know, they've got to repeat, repeat, repeat. And being able to do that is, again, a huge positive indication that a child will end up being a functional communicator. So you really want to build that imitation piece. And, again, if you're not sure how to do that, uh, my book, Building Verbal Imitation in Toddlers, will get you started on the right track of that. And we we did that whole series of shows, gosh, we just went on for weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks talking about that levels approach and how you begin to teach imitation. So listen to that if
1: that's new for you. And that, Laura. Let me say this. I think that the the levels. I'm just sticking with the levels because I do know <laughs> it's a teaching verbal imitation. But I like the levels because that's how I think of it. Um, you know, I think it's great for. I mean, some occasionally we'll get a kid who, gee, they just take off and, you know, you couldn't hardly miss. But most of our kids are not that easy. And whether it ends up being some sort of motor planning issue like apraxia or some more global social communication thing like like autism, Um, they really need that slower, more um, focused work to work towards verbal imitation. You just don't hit the ground running with words with those kids. If if you were going to, you wouldn't be there. They're not that easy. Um, And I do think that the early play stuff that you talk about and imitation during play activities... Is huge and um, often again overlooked. You know, we're just gonna yeah. go right for the words with the pictures. You know, <laughs> like, right? Mm, well, that's not gonna work.
0: Yep. Right? There's a whole mm-hmm. lot of stuff that comes has to come before that. So if you have a kid who's really struggling, who's not following a lot of directions, and whose play isn't great. You're not going to be there for these kinds of ideas. I mean, you're still going to use these same kinds of ideas that we're talking about being really repetitive and really simple and really emphasizing the nouns, but that kind of kid, you're really working on him understanding the words. And so you're not quite there yet with him being able to say it. So expressively, your goal is going to need to be those other kinds of words that that Kate's talking about, too, the play sounds and the exclamatory words. And that's after you get him imitating a lot of actions first. So, again, so many of the things we talk about from week really do build on one another. And so if you have a child who's not doing things, you need to back up and listen to those earlier shows or get that book so that you can um, work on what would be appropriate. Okay, let's talk about some other things that make it easier for children to start, to be able to start to imitate these real words. First of all, the adult has to be fun. And, again, if you're kind of a really laid-back, really adult-sounding person, I don't even think I can model that kind of talking with you, and you don't get really excited about anything, you need to really amp it up, so, and I say, or act it up a notch so that your child knows, gosh, this is something different, this is something new, pay attention, what's she going to do next? What will she say? And that level of engagement and level of heightened affect is so important and so effective in helping children really tune into you and really start to listen to those key words so that they can be able to repeat you. And it's just it's critical. Um, if you've seen my first DVD, Teach Me to Talk, I spend a lot of time talking about how important being playful is. And it is just the cornerstone strategy. And sometimes I feel like the best thing that I can do for a parent in that first visit is to really get them to sound and look and act more fun. And if they can do that so many times, other things just fall into place. And it really is critical for a therapist to be able to model that for parents. So if you are pretty low-key, and don't even really know how to do what we're talking about, or if you think, I don't know if I've ever really thought about that before, chances are you're not as fun as you need to be. And so, and it's so easy to kind of gloss over our own areas of weakness. You know, I mean, my goodness, who wants to think about a flaw or something that you need to fix? You're there to fix the kid, not you. And so, it's really, really easy to miss when your own level of arousal. And how animated you are is not where it should be. And so sometimes you really do have to watch other people do it before you realize, oh, no, I'm not quite that way. And some people say, gosh, that's just not my personality. I'm just not that way. And I just don't buy that at all. I think all of us naturally can learn how to do maybe not naturally, but we can all learn how to do it, and it is so effective, and you will see such better results. And it doesn't really matter if that's not your regular personality. Um, So I I wanted to put that plug. The other thing that you can do to make it easier for children to start to imitate at this point is use a really sing-song, melodic voice. And, again, some therapists will kind of not like this idea because they'll say, That doesn't sound as natural or it doesn't sound adult-like. And, again, we're not talking about adults. We're talking about toddlers. (laughs) And so really being able to model, you know, cookie or cracker makes a huge difference for so many children in their willingness and in their motivation to try to imitate. So that sing-song, prosody, or melodic, um, that melodic.
1: And even in their ability, Laura. I mean, I think it's not only that you're motivating them more, I think you're simply really just making it easier. So the odds are now does it work 100% of the time? No. No but it works more than anything else a higher percentage of the time. So Mm -hmm. it makes, because that sing-song pattern seems to click in something in their little brains, and they just might get cracker. But if you say
0: cracker, you can forget it. Exactly. And so, Mm -hmm. you know, and that really is based on research, and we've talked about this a lot on the show. That's called mother ease or parent ease. And little babies in infancy are drawn to People who use that kind of ooh, I see you, ooh, look at you <laughs> that up and down, they are drawn to that that's who a baby lights up for, and mm-hmm. so and we have to we have to use that information. This is called evidence based practice <laughs> when you are using what research tells you works, and that first it helps the kid be able to get the kid's attention, and then secondly. It it does help that motor planning piece. It does give some rhythm and some predictability to a child to be able to imitate. I mean, that's our love of music is based on that. Our brains are attracted to that. And so don't fight it. Don't resist it. Use it. So that sing-song voice is really, really, really important. All right. I wanted to get a little, little further on this topic tonight, but we did not. Um, And so we'll pick up here next week. We have about a minute left, and so I want to wrap up with the reason that we're talking about all of this is so that we can help children develop their vocabularies and move toward the point when we can work on being conversational and answering and asking to, but answering questions. And so when we start to talk about vocabulary development, the things that we're teaching children in their earliest vocabularies are to use. Social words, exclamatory words, play sounds, and nouns. And I do have some more advice about nouns, including what nouns um, research tells us usually develop first. And so next week we're going to talk about the word list and what nouns again we would typically teach and like and more how-to instructions with um, how to actually go about that. So Any parting words for today, Kate?
1: Um, I guess for any listeners who aren't familiar with you or your work um, and just kind of somehow found us randomly, uh, to go to your website and download clips of various, maybe the earlier DVDs like Teach Me to Talk or something like that, to see you do it because I think back to years ago when we accidentally Uh, treated, co-treated a child in a daycare and I saw you in action and it was like, (gasps) it was my epiphany moment where I thought, okay, I never really got that. I mean, I thought I did, but until I saw you do it, I didn't. So um, just, just a little thing for anybody who hasn't already seen them. I know most of your listeners are very familiar with your work, but we do get some random ones and for them to go to your website and at least look at those clips so that they see it in action because hearing it and then seeing it are different yeah i think so too and
0: that's why we do the dvds and why johnny and i did those in 2008 and started because it is a totally different kind of thing and if you haven't had your child in therapy yet and you don't really know what therapy should look like or what it's supposed to look like it's also a great uh, way to do that for therapists who that you want you know, credibility with parents that you're working with, like this stuff really works. A lot of therapists get those to use those as parent education tools. Not only do they loan them to parents, they also a lot of times will show them uh, a clip and say, okay, let's watch this, and then this is what we're going to do with your child. And, again, that's perfect for states that have that whole no toy bag rule. You're really demonstrating you know, you're showing them the strategy, and then you can demonstrate that there. And again, parent education is huge. That's what teachmetotalk.com dot com is all about. And so, um, getting watching that video is or DVD is really really um, key for parents or therapists who not really use that kind of upbeat playfulness as your cornerstone strategy for teaching. So,
1: that was good advice. Well, okay, that me. and. So often Laura when um I'm having a session and I'm thinking, you know, this isn't clicking along quite as well as it usually does or it sometimes does. So often what needs to change is what I'm doing and how I'm presenting things and when I remember that and I get that your little voice that says, Ratchet it up a knot and sometimes that doesn't mean louder, but it just means somehow so, I use the term bigger and we I always struggle yeah. to define what bigger means in our line of work, but, you know, more exaggerated, more emotion put into it, um, more facial expression, more reaction on my part, whatever it is, when I'm flat, when I'm kind of dialing it in, as we sometimes say, and not really as committed to it because maybe I'm tired or maybe I'm distracted or maybe I'm bored or whatever thing is going on with me when I kind of have my moment where I give myself a little shake and say, get with it. Um, when I turn it up, when I get bigger, somehow their responses almost invariably improve. So,
0: yeah, just that.
1: Yeah, that's
0: good advice. Really good advice. A lot of times it isn't the kid; it's you, and that's so <laughs> that's again hard to take as therapists. You know, we're <laughs> supposed to be the experts,
1: but that's
0: you know, gosh. But we're human we started... too. And
1: sometimes exactly. we're better than others, and it's okay think... as long as you remind yourself to you know to check back in and give it your best, because, I mean, I certainly have my moments where I'm not totally on, but if I really think about it, I can usually get a lot closer to on than I was before I gave it some effort, so. Exactly.
0: That's why video, yeah, videotaping yourself is, again, a lot of parent, a lot of therapists think, or even parents can video themselves, and you can go back and watch it, and after you get over, you know, oh my gosh, I look sad, or I need to recolor my hair, or Whatever <laughs> you do start to pay attention to, you know, he was better. He was at me more, and he was trying to say more when I was more on, or when I was more up, or whatever your word tends to be. And that's, boy, when we started shooting all that videotape for DVDs in 2008, that's when I really got hyper aware. Of how important yeah, I can see where that is. might be
1: painful occasionally to watch because it would yeah. be very clear that, oh, it, well, I could have been doing that better, you know. Yeah, <laughs> that's it's not the key. He kid. wasn't great, but neither was I, yeah. Right, right. And I do try, right. you know, when it, just during a normal session, and I can't say it, I do it 100% of the time, but... You know, you do kind of sometimes think, whoa, you did really well last week, and today it's kind of difficult. And a lot of times, sometimes it's the child. But even when it is really the child, you can usually um, tweak what you're doing to make it better. So Exactly. Exactly. And on that happy note, we're
0: going to end for today. We'll pick back up here next week. I hope you'll join us. Thanks so much. Thank you, Laura. Bye. All right. Bye.